recite together Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, all together. Ye are the light, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that ye may see the good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You may be seated. What do my neighbors see when they look at me? Appreciated the devotions that Glenn shared this morning. I think it was a good uh, prelude or introduction to the sermon this morning. What do other people see when they see me, when they look at me? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. These are both very simple and yet very profound declarations. And just like so many of Jesus' statements, they're very loaded. They're so short, you could almost miss them if you allow your mind to wander just a short moment while reading through the Sermon on the Mount. You might miss them entirely. At the same time, these statements are so deep and so insightful, you could study them for hours. And these statements you could make your life mission as well. Very practical. The first verse, you're the salt of the earth, is the first point of the message. Taking a look at salt, and then later at light, and then concluding by drawing some lessons from, from the two of them. You're the salt of the earth. First of all, what is salt? Just simply looking at it from a practical point, what is salt? If we look at it commercially, it is a very essential commodity. It has been for years, for centuries, for millennia. Salt has been something that has been essential to mankind. The salt trade is something that people have invested a lot of effort in. Today, there are about 40 million tons of salt produced or used each year in the United States alone. So it's a very essential commodity. And like I said, throughout history, people have depended on it. In some cultures, in some time periods, salt was actually used as a medium for bartering. They would trade something. Well, how much salt is this worth? And they would use that as a way to set value on something or use salt to trade for other items. Also in times of history, particularly during the Roman Empire, salt was used as a salary. Roman soldiers were paid with salt. Several terms or expressions we get from that. Sometimes you hear the expression today that somebody is worth their salt or they may not be worth their salt. It simply means they're, they're not worth their salary. It's not worth what you're paying them to do a certain job. And in fact, the word salary itself comes from the Latin word salt. So it's a, a derivative of that. So if you earn a good salary, apparently your employer thinks you're worth your salt. 
If you have been wishing for a raise and have not been receiving it, maybe you need to ask yourself if you really are worth your salt or not. But commercially, salt is an essential commodity. Medically, it is a vital product. Life depends on salt. Now, we hear a lot about the effects of too much salt, but the fact is you can't survive without it because your body does depend on it. And if you have a deficiency of salt in your body, it can lead in its early stages to muscle cramps and nausea, perhaps eventually to vomiting and dizziness, and if it's severe enough, can cause unconsciousness and even death. Well, let's look at salt from a chemical perspective. What is salt? Chemically, it is a combination of two elements. Those of you in chemistry class or in science class in school may know the chemical um, abbreviations and know that salt is known as NaCl, which is simply the, um, the uh, element terms for sodium and chlorine. And when these two elements are combined, they form sodium chloride, which is commonly known as table salt. So chemically, it's a combination of these two elements that join together to form what we know as salt. Now, I'd like to make a spiritual application to this as well. I'm not looking at the spiritual aspects of salt, but at the spiritual aspect of Christians. We too, as a Christian, as a believer, are a combination of two beings. As God's Spirit enters into us and meshes with our spirit, that is what forms a Christian. Alone, neither one is a Christian. God is God. Man is man. But as God enters man and meshes their spirit's mesh, we have a Christian or a kingdom citizen. And the ideas that I'm presenting today are not something for you to try to accomplish on your own effort. They're not something that I can accomplish on my own effort. They are the work of God within us, this combination of two beings joining together. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see how it's a combination of Christ in me. The combination of the two elements, the combination of the two beings. You cannot be a contribution to God's kingdom, a solid and effective contribution in God's kingdom in your own strength. It's not a matter of you working for God. Rather, it's a matter of God working through you to accomplish his purpose. So any impact you make on God's kingdom is not by virtue of your power, but by virtue of God's power working in and through you. So that's just a brief overview of what salt is. Let's move on and look at what salt does. What does salt do? Now, probably the first thing we think of when we think of salt is as a flavoring for food. 
It seasons our food. That's a very valid use for salt, but it is only one of many uses. It's used for many things today. It was used for many things in Bible times. Um, this list that I'm going to give you is certainly not comprehensive. We could list dozens, if not hundreds, of uses of salt, but I will give you a few of them. First of all, as I mentioned, salt flavors food, which may be what we are most familiar with. As Americans living in the 21st century, we have a tremendous variety of options in our diet. In one day, you might eat rice that's imported from China and grapefruit that may come from Florida or Texas or California. You might have bananas that come from Ecuador and coffee, at least if your name is Michael, that comes from El Salvador. You might enjoy some chocolate that comes from Ecuador and you don't even think twice about it. It's normal. It's just part of our daily routine. We don't think of that as being unusual. At one point, strawberries were an early summer fruit. Today, if you wish, you can probably eat strawberries almost any time of the year that you want. And of course, with a variety of food, you have a variety of tastes that should suit just about everyone. So in our setting, it may be a little bit difficult for us to imagine what it is like or what the diet is like for millions of people in the world that eat nearly the same thing day after day after day, and sometimes several times in the same day. For a lot of people, it's rice. Rice is the staple of their diet. For other people, depending where they live, it might be cornmeal or it may be potatoes, but they eat these things day after day, week after week, month after month. Can you imagine what it would be like to eat these things, the same thing over and over and over, without salt to give it at least a little bit of flavor? You see, the salt adds flavor to these things and makes it bearable for people to eat. So when Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth... What he was saying is that you, the church, the members of God's kingdom, are to be that element which makes life enjoyable and bearable for other people. Your presence should bring a zest and a flavor into other people's lives. Your life should inject inspiration and enthusiasm into the drabness and boredom of the world in which you live. You see, the world is full, our communities are full of people who are searching for meaning and significance. They may look for it in many ways. They may look for it through their work, their occupation, their job. They may look, through it, look for it through their possessions. They think, well, I just need a new house, a new car, a new, you name it, to give me significance. They may look for it through entertainment Distractions, popularity, trying to become popular, or having a lot of friends. They may even look for it in things like partying, drugs, alcohol, immorality. They're looking 
for some kind of flavor in life. But the problem is, all of these things I mentioned, if engaged in simply to find flavor in life, these things that may look so appealing end up with no taste and no substance and no fulfillment. They're all empty promises. Jesus is saying, you have something better to offer the world. You have something of lasting significance, something that will give meaning in life. Ye are the salt of the earth. You have something to offer. What else does salt do? Salt preserves our food. Again, in our subculture here in America, and particularly this group here in our culture and upbringing, we rely very heavily on freezing and canning. This is a time of the year that a lot of you have been busy with that and are busy with it. But these methods were not always available, and even today, um, in some places, for some people, they are not nearly as available as they are for us. So these people relied heavily, or in some cases today, still rely heavily on salt to preserve their food. Instead of canning, they may dry their food. And salt aids in this drying process. It's very critical. It helps to uh, remove the moisture and uh, helps in the preservation of the food. Jesus said, you, the church, the citizens of his kingdom, are to be that element which contributes to the preservation of society. Now, we all know what happens to something that's left to itself. If you have a car, you do not maintain it. You do not change oil. You do not do whatever you need to do, the brakes and so forth. Eventually, you're going to run into problems. If you have a house, it needs some maintenance. And the fact is, society as well, left to its own, will go only in one direction. And that is downhill. I think Jesus was saying, you are the element which preserves society from complete corruption. You see, the people of the world with a humanistic perspective say what we need to do is change our society so that people become better people. But it doesn't work. Jesus is saying, you need to change people's lives so that they, in turn, can contribute to a better society, and society will become a better place. Jesus is looking to us, to you, when he said, you're the salt of the earth, to be a preserving factor in society. Salt also contributes to good health. Now, I'll give just a little disclaimer here. Again, in our society, with so many commercially processed foods, most people get plenty of salt, uh, perhaps more than what they need today. But again, that was not always the case, is not always the case for all people. And the fact is, you do need some salt in order to maintain good health. Salt is essential for the nervous system, as I mentioned earlier. If you don't have uh, enough salt, you can, um, your, your muscles, it's going to affect your muscle function, your nervous system. Salt is also necessary, I understand, for the heart, liver, kidneys, and intestines to function properly. And if you lack it entirely, you're going to be in trouble. 
and especially in locations such as the Middle East where Jesus gave this sermon, where the heat is intense and the sunlight just as intense. Significant amounts of salt were lost by the body and they needed to be maintained. I think what Jesus was saying is that you, the church, citizens of his kingdom, are to be that element which contributes to the health of society. So I ask you, as Glenn asked, what do people see when they see you? I'll take that question further and ask, what do people do when they see you? How do people respond? Do they act differently when you are around? Are you a contribution to the good health of society? When I was single, I was working for a, a man in our community. He was not a, one of our church members, uh, another job that I had. And it was a, a small business area, had several employees. And uh, for the most part, I thought it seemed to be a pretty respectable environment. One day, one of the employees asked me, he said, do you have any idea what our boss is like when you're not around? Do you have an idea what he talks like, what his speech is like when you're not here? He said, it's entirely different. Well, I really had no idea. But the point they were making is that one person can have an influence on how other people act. So I ask you, is your community a healthier place because you live there, your workplace, your school, your class? Is it healthier because you are there? After all, you are the salt of the earth. Salt also heals. I understand that in ancient times, salt played a pretty significant role in medication. And again, picturing the, the scene in which Jesus gave this setting centuries ago in the Middle East, there were no elaborate medical centers that you could go to. No corner pharmacies with all kinds of prescription antibiotics. Gordonville Ambulance was not parked just around the corner at a major event, just in case there was an accident or someone was smitten with heat or whatever. One of their common responses, if there was an injury, was to wash the wound with salt water, to cleanse it, and to aid in the healing process. It may have been a child that scratched his knee while he was playing. It may have been a farmer who was gored by his bull. It may have been a soldier that was injured in battle. What was the first thing they did? Wash that wound with salt water in order to aid in the healing process. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You, as members of his kingdom, are to be that element which aids in healing which brings healing to hurt and broken lives. And sometimes that means that we need to be willing to enter into ugly situations. These wounds that were treated were ugly wounds in some cases. And if we are the salt, we need to be willing to get involved in ugly situations. We cannot avoid them, walk away from them, but instead help to restore people to a healthy relationship with God. Salt represents loyalty. And this is an interesting practice in, in numerous cultures, especially in Eastern cultures, Eastern Europe and, and certain parts of the world, 
where it is very common to greet guests with bread and salt. A number of years ago, uh, Vice President Joe, Joe Biden was vice president at that time. He visited Ukraine, and there was a ceremony of greeting him with bread and salt. And this was uh, a, particularly a, a Soviet and Eastern European culture that has carried on even to this day. And I read recently that it's a practice that they have even taken to the International Space Station. And when new astronauts arrive at the International Space Station, which generally has uh, Soviet occupants, they greet them with bread and salt as a welcome. The bread represents hospitality, and the salt represents loyalty or enduring friendship. This exchange of salt is something that was done for centuries simply as a token of, you can count on me. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to cover your back. This is a symbol of my loyalty to you. Jesus said, you are to be that element that people can trust. You're to be that element that is recognized as consistent and credible. And you, of all people, need to be counted on as someone that's going to come through. You see, we live in a world of broken promises. In many cases, a person's word means very little. Jesus says, that's not how it is for you. You're the salt of the earth. You're, you as salt are a symbol of loyalty. Are you genuine? Does your yes mean yes and your no mean no? If you say you're going to meet someone at 7 o'clock, does that mean you're going to be there at 7 o'clock or at 7.05 or 7.10 or later? If you say you will respect the policies at work, does that mean you will respect the policies at work? Or does it mean you might respect some of them? What does your word mean? If you commit to follow the brotherhood agreements that we have agreed on here, does that mean that you plan to respect them? Or does it mean that, yeah, you know you should say you will, so you'll say you will, but you still do what you feel like doing? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Are you loyal to your word? Does your word, is your word something that can be counted on when people are depending on you? Well, salt also causes thirst. You all know what happens if you eat a salty meal, have a salty ham, or someone gives you a salty snack. It's not too long until you feel quite thirsty. You feel like you need a drink. I remember reading of an account where communists in years back have used this to cause suffering or torture some of their prisoners. As they were transporting prisoners by train across Siberia, I believe it was, they would take them for some distance for some time until those prisoners became very hungry. And then they would intentionally give them a very salty meal. And some of the prisoners just dove into it because they were so hungry. Others who may have been more experienced knew what was coming and they refrained from eating it. 
because they knew that the intention was to take them for maybe a day or more with no water. And those people who ate that salty meal just became desperate, pounding on the sides of the railroad car. They needed water. You see, salt causes thirst. We may have also heard of some unscrupulous farmers who take animals to market, and right before they take them to the auction, they feed them a lot, a lot of salt. The intention, so they drink a lot of water and will weigh a few pounds more before they go across the scales. Salt causes thirst. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are to be that element in society which makes people long for what you have. Again, what do your neighbors see when they look at you? Are they attracted or are they repulsed? Do they say, I want what she has. I want what he has. Or do they say, I don't want to be like him. I've seen enough of him to know that whatever he has, I don't want it. You see, a thirsty person or a thirsty animal, someone who is desperate for water will do almost anything to get water. Does your life bring people around you to the point where they are willing to give up anything for what you have? You see, that's what following Christ involves. It means surrender. It means giving up. And does your life bring people to the point where they are willing to do that? Well, salt also melts ice. And again, I think we're familiar with that characteristic of salt. We've seen it used on the highways. Perhaps we've used it on our driveway or our sidewalks. And it helps to melt the ice. Jesus said, you are that element which melts through the icy hard hearts of the men around you. You're familiar with the account of David Livingston, explorer and missionary to Africa, and reading his biography is an adventure in itself. At one point, David Livingston had not been heard from for, I think, about five years. People did not know if he was dead or alive. There were some indications he may have still been alive. They still weren't sure. And there was this newspaper company that thought if they could find information on David Livingston, it would be a boost to their sales because they could, they could um, publish information about him. People were curious. So there was this young reporter by the name of Henry Stanley, and this newspaper company gave him a task. They said, find Livingston and then report back to us. Well, you may be familiar with the words that he supposedly said when he eventually met David Livingston. He walked up to him, said, Dr. Livingston, I presume. He may or may not have said that, but those are the words that were recorded. And according to one account that I read, Henry Stanley soon thereafter said something else to David Livingston. He said, there's something I want you to know, Mr. Livingston. He said, I am the biggest swaggering atheist that ever walked on this earth. Please do not try to convert me. 
They spent about four or five months together before Henry Stanley returned back to Western society. And before he left Africa, that biggest swaggering atheist knelt down on that black African soil and gave his heart to the Lord. Because the influence of one man melted his icy heart. It broke through that ice. Think of someone that you know whose heart you think is as hard as stone. Maybe it's not stone. Maybe it's just an icy shell around the outside of their heart. Make it your point or make it your goal to allow God's love to flow through you to melt the ice shining through your life. That may be all it takes to melt that icy shell. Salt melts. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. One more thing, salt kills. Several years ago, uh, we had a blight that was affecting our grapevines. And someone told my wife that if you give them a solution of salt and some other items, it will take care of the blight. I said, well, it sounds to me like a good way to kill a grapevine. So my wife double-checked, and the person said, yeah, that's, that's what it does. So we decided to try it on, on one grapevine, see if it works. Well, it was very effective. The next year, there was no blight. I guess blight doesn't like dead grapes because there was no life in that grapevine because salt kills. And we found out later she was supposed to use Epsom salt, which is a totally different chemical substance than table salt. In Judges chapter 9, verse 45, there's an interesting account where there were two armies, two armies at war. And um, the one of them was the uh, army of Abimelech. He was fighting against the city of Shechem, and he conquered the city. He killed the people, and then he did something interesting. He sowed the area with salt. He wasn't satisfied to just eliminate that city temporarily. He wanted to make sure that if people ever returned to that city, there was no way they could raise crops for themselves. He sowed the land with salt to make that area a sterile area. And in Bible times, when someone wanted to improve a roadway, they did not call Byler Paving or the local concrete plant. But what they would do is take salt and throw it out on the ground. And what this salt would do, it would, it would do two things. It would kill the plants, but it would also absorb moisture, which would result in a very hard and barren surface, which made a perfect roadway. And this is what Jesus was referring to, I believe, when he said, if the salt have lost his savor, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden underfoot of men. You see, all the other uses that I mentioned for salt, salt has to have a good flavor. It has to be potent. But even when it doesn't have flavor, it kills. This is distinctively different from the other uses. And I'd like you to notice, Jesus did not say, you are called to be the salt of the earth. 
He did not say you are supposed to be the salt of the earth. He said you are the salt of the earth. And if you have flavor, if your salt is salty, you can benefit people around you. But if the salt has lost its savor, then it will be cast out to kill and to produce barrenness. Jesus is saying, you are to be that element which brings life, not death. Either you are for me or you are against me. Either you're building the kingdom or you are destroying it. So what kind of salt are you? Are you salty salt? Or are you the killing kind of salt? Let's move on. Ye are the light of the world. Jesus uses two illustrations here to make a comparison. And the point he was making, he was asking, is your light shining brightly? Is your light bright? First of all, he uses the illustration of a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Picture a weary traveler traveling across the desert environment. Off in the distance, there's a city on a hill. He's traveling at night. He sees the light of that city. It serves as a guide for him, a direction, and also an encouragement, knowing that he doesn't have far to go. On the other hand, a candle hidden under a bushel helps no one. It says, a, a candle on a candlestick giveth light unto everyone. A candle that is hidden gives light to no one. I heard an illustration one time, which may or may not have been true. The uh, setting was a railroad crossing where there was a, a guard who would signal people at the crossing. And this was probably years, years back before automation. And it was the duty of this guard to warn people when a train was coming. Late one night, a train came while someone was crossing the guard or crossing the, the railroad. There was a ter terrible wreck. Under the train was a mass of metal and mangled bodies. And sometime after that, this crossing guard was called to court to give his testimony and to describe exactly what happened. And so he described how he received a signal late one night that the train was coming. So he grabbed his lantern and he ran out to the crossing and he waved his lantern back and forth. He turned the other way and waved his lantern back and forth. And he saw this, saw this car approaching and he waved it even more frantically. But the car never slowed down. And at the last moment, the crossing guard jumped aside. The car sped by and smashed under the train. This was the testimony he gave. The judge thanked him and excused him. Later, his friend mentioned, well, I understand you cleared yourself in court. And this man chuckled a little bit. He said, yeah. He said, the guard or the judge forgot to ask me one question. He never asked me if my lantern was lit when I was waving it in the night. And sometimes I fear we are waving a lantern that is not shining very brightly. 
and the results can be just as drastic. We go through the motions of serving the Lord, do what we're supposed to do, doing all the right things, but we just don't have the power of the Spirit living within us. So I ask, is there a bushel over your candle or do you lack the power within? Sin in our lives can hinder the work of the Spirit. Is there a bushel over your candle? Need to move on. The third point I'd just like to look at, a number of points. Salty salt and bright light. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The question I want to leave with you, are you salty salt? And is your light bright? Or is your light hidden? Several points we'd like to look at on how to be salty salt and how to have a bright light. First of all, be willing to maintain a distinctive Christ-like identity. Be willing to maintain your identity as salt and as light. We need to be willing to be different from the world, to stand out and be different. Whatever the world is, we are salt. Christians that blend in with the world are just not very effective. You see, salt has no qualms about being salt. Salt does not try to be baking powder or flour or sugar. Salt is salt. And when you taste salt, you know what it is. Years ago, when I lived in northwestern Ontario, I was a dorm supervisor at a boys' school. And typically in the evening, we would serve a little bit of a snack to the boys, and frequently, frequently we would make hot tea for them. And uh, normally the, the different dorm supervisors got together, took turns making this, and one evening, as the one dorm supervisor was making tea, we would sweeten it, because most of the uh, students, or some of the students, would... Uh, put enough sugar in it to make the spoon stand up almost if they were allowed to. So we took care of sweetening it for them. But the one dorm supervisor put salt in by mistake instead of sugar. I wasn't aware of that. I took a portion of the tea to our dorm. And in our dorm, each of the students had their own mug hanging up by the sink. So they all got their mugs, brought it, poured themselves some tea. And the first one to take a sip said... Someone put salt in my mug. Everyone else tasted their tea, and everyone else said, well, someone put salt in my mug, too. So they all went to the sink, dumped out their tea, rinsed out their cups, come back, poured themselves another cup, and it was just as salty. And then we concluded what happened. There was salt in the tea. But my point is, they had no doubt that there was salt in their tea. Salt is distinctive. If we lose our distinct distinctiveness, we lose our effectiveness. Is there any doubt about who you are? Are you ashamed of who you are? Are you adapting to the worldly trends around you? In your lifestyles, in your spending habits, in your 
appearance, in the way you serve self rather than others. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I think this verse encourages us to maintain our identity in Christ. Be willing to be salt and be willing to be light. Also, be willing to be consumed. It's interesting that both salt and light perform their tasks by being consumed. When salt is placed into food, it dissolves and disappears. You cannot remove that salt again. The tea that we, that we serve to those boys, we could not remove that salt from the tea. It, had, it, was, it was consumed within the tea. And even light, in its natural sense, is produced by something being consumed as it burns. You might have a wood fire. You might have a gas lantern. The gas is consumed. Even with electricity, it may be more efficient. But even the electricity is consumed in order to produce that light. And I ask, are you willing to be consumed? Are you willing, as Paul shared in his testimony... He said, I will very gladly, in his letter to the Corinthians, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. I, I'm just willing to be consumed, to pour my life out. He says, even though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. He says, but I'm willing. I'm willing to be spent. Part of being consumed is also being willing to lose your identity. You see, when light and salt do their jobs well, you don't think about what they're doing. If food does not have enough salt or if it has too much salt, you think about it. But if it has just the right amount of salt, you don't think about it. If you would enter this room this morning and there would have been no lights, you would have thought about it, that it's dark. But probably most of you never thought about the light in here as you came in this morning. Because if it's just right, you don't notice it. And when you do your job for Christ in the right way, in the right attitude, you often are not noticed. And that's okay. Salt is willing to be consumed. Light is willing to be consumed and even to lose its identity. Salt is willing to be dispersed. Or we need to be willing to be dispersed in order to be salty salt and bright light. We recognize that salt on a pile is not pleasant to eat. Light is good when it is dispersed. If I have a flashlight, the light that comes from that light spreads out and lights the pathway. That's why a laser light does not make a good light for lighting your path. In the nighttime, because it doesn't disperse, it's, it's concentrated, and a laser light can do damage if you shine it in the wrong place. But light that is dispersed lights a path and is good, and God's intention is for the citizens of his kingdom to be dispersed. Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. In Acts 1 8, Sunday school lesson last week, ye shall be witnesses unto me 
onto the uttermost parts of the earth, not just here in Jerusalem or in Judea or in Samaria, but onto the uttermost parts of the earth. Recently, we've had a number of youth that have gone out from here. I think that is tremendous. And I know there's some more of you who are planning to go or considering going. God bless you in that. That is dispersing as sought. Maybe some families need to take the example of some of the youth. Right now, we don't have so many families who have been dispersing into other areas. Maybe God is calling you to do that. Also, how can we be salty salt? How can we be bright light? We need to be willing to be dispersed, but at the same time, we need to be willing to work together with other believers. There is power in unity. Salt. You sprinkle a few grains of table salt on your icy driveway, you're not going to notice any difference. But a large volume of salt has power. It can clear miles of highway. And I used the example of light. Light needs to disperse to spread out. But when light is concentrated as in a laser beam, it does have tremendous power. It can slice clean through a half-inch sheet of steel because of that power in working together. There is power in working together. There is power in united effort. So I ask you the question again. Jesus said, you are salt. Are you salty salt? Jesus said, you are light. Are you a bright light? going to close by reading these verses. Again, the words of Jesus allow them to speak to you. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven.